Welcome to the podcast on Natural Dallas, or the pond for short. Here's where we take the measure of the natural world that is all around us, probing its secrets, and beholding its mysterious wonders. The flora, the fauna, the earth below our feet, and the sky above our heads. All is for a game as we wade ever more deeply into the waters of discovery. This podcast is brought to you by the staff of the Dallas Public Library, where we strive to connect the curious with the passionate and foster a culture of lifelong learning. The views shared on this podcast are those of its participants and not those of the library or the city of Dallas. Let's get started. Welcome to The Pond. I'm Greg. For today's episode, we're joined by Chris Runk. Chris is one of Dallas's resident expert birders, and he's led many bird walks at White Rock Lake and other places over the past several years, along with yearly birding trips to the Guadalupe Mountains. He's the Dallas area reviewer for the eBird app, and he's personally ID'd over 300 bird species here. I, I think it was 326 when I looked at eBird. Is that, yeah, that's is that a, right? That's pretty close. Which in, puts in you right, right close to the top of the leaderboard. I think yeah, there's yeah. one with 328 right now. Uh, yeah, I think I'm do, one behind Dr. Bob Stone. Do y'all yo-yo yeah. going back and forth with the leadership, uh, or have actually, you been playing catch-up? I'm finally catching up with Oh, okay. <laughs> right. Well, one of the areas he's been putting his expertise is into service is through the Texas Bird Records Committee. It's, we'll chat about eBirds and the Texas Bird Records Committee a little more later. Okay, great. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. It's great to be here. I enjoyed it and getting my work together here and and, uh, be able to go through your questions. All right. Well, what do you think makes birding appeal to so many people? I think that the, the thing about birding is it's a combination. It's a combination of being outdoors and it's also uh, a very intellectual type activity in the sense it's uh, like stamp collecting in a way as well because you're out there in the outdoors, you're, you're searching for birds and then once you find your birds, you're identifying them and then you go back home and you put them on a list. So all of those things appeal to different types of personalities and uh, there, are other, there are other few things about birding too. I think it's absolutely possible to enjoy birding at any level. You don't have to work for three or four years to try to learn bird identification or to try to learn to play a musical instrument or something like that. You can go out there and just enjoy it right away. Uh, I, I learned birding just by myself, but it's sometimes it's better to go out with a group. It just it depends, uh, whatever you want to do. The other thing about when you become an experienced birder you're always trying to find something rare or you're trying to do some specific project. So that even though I've spent uh, thousands of trips literally to the old fish hatchery in the White Rock Lake, every time I go in there, I'm trying to find something new or I'm trying to uh, do something a little bit different. And there are still several species of birds that I go into that area even though I've been doing it for over, well, probably about 15 years now, and I'm still trying to find that one mm-hmm. species that I, haven't, that I haven't found in that particular area, which is the last thing I'll say about birding is that you can split it up into areas. You don't have to just say, well, I've seen a, a grebe or something, and then check it off your list. Nope. You've got to see it in a certain area in the county or mm-hmm. in a state or something like that. And so there are lots of different levels of birding. I think that's the neat thing. And, of course, you're outside. I sure. Mean, you know, you can't beat that. Uh, that's, you know, that's it. For I think that's why it appeals to just about everybody. Well, how did you first become interested in observing birds yourself? We, uh, I grew up in central Pennsylvania in the woods, and uh, we had a bird feeder 
right outside the uh, kitchen window. And at that time, uh, there were uh, winter migrants coming through, evening grosbeaks, red poles, uh, birds that we didn't see in central Pennsylvania except when it snowed really hard or ice storms and stuff. And these birds would come down from Canada and they would flock to the bird feeder. And when I was a little bitty kid, uh, I'd get all excited. We had some horribly out-of-date bird books, and I'd try to identify them. That's, uh, that's, that's what did me in. Hmm. And this kept going for a long time. Uh, sadly, nowadays, uh, the uh, global warming, I might add that uh, the nature observers and birders in particular are very aware of global warming because it's prevented the northern uh, breeders, the northern species, from coming down as far as they used mm. to into the United States. And uh, this has screwed up the uh, winter bird feeders in, in Pennsylvania, the people that I know that live back there. They just don't have these kind of birds anymore coming down from Canada. Those birds stay up north. That's been a little interesting, too. Could you describe a few of your most memorable birding experiences? Yes, absolutely. I've got a few here, three of them, as a matter of fact. Uh, the first one I wrote down was the hook-billed kite, which is a kind of a hawk thing that's pretty rare in uh, anywhere, especially in Texas. They're found in the valley, and most people see them uh, soaring up in the air, that sort of thing. Well, I was hiking in an area that is now closed, along the Rio Grande River, uh, below the Falcon Dam. Um, they've had a lot of problems down there, so they've completely closed the area off. This must have been 10 or 15 years ago. And I found one of these birds uh, in the woods, uh, just walking along by myself. He, he made some noise, I think, and I, I saw it immediately, and I knew what it was. Uh, of course, I was very excited. And then the mate came and joined it, so I had two of them together. That was, a, that was an absolutely spectacular sighting, and I was all by myself, kind of in a scary area. Uh, I couldn't see very far ahead of me or behind me and and you know I didn't know whether anybody was in there that whether wasn't I was just all by myself anyway that was terrific another spot another bird which was totally unexpected uh, I was hiking with my wife in uh, Rocky Mountain National Park in Colorado when we found two white-tailed ptarmigans in the middle of the summer in the snowbank and I would not have expected to see them at that season and the only reason we saw them is we saw that little white eye at first, and we thought, hey, you know what, there's a bird around that white eye, the black eye, I'm sorry, really dark eye. And uh, so we realized that there was a ptarmigan still in its uh, winter plumage, which is completely white. You always get excited when you see a bird in one of your patches that's rare or that you haven't seen before, but you've seen it in, in your patch, but you've seen it somewhere else. So that doesn't kind of give you the same kind of uh, jolt, but... Another another one that uh, especially that was really the whole idea was neat is I had camped overnight at Muleshoe National Wildlife Refuge and I woke up in the morning and along one of the ponds there a little not little but fairly small pond there were uh, approximately five thousand sandhill cranes spending the night in that pond. And uh, I walked over, once again, I was camping by myself on the wildlife refuge, and I had gotten permission. And uh, I walked over to the area uh, slowly, and I watched as, uh, as it grew light, and these, all of the sandhill cranes started to make noise and wake up and start to holler and stuff. And, and uh, well, I think well over 5,000, but for sure, uh, I, I believe that I counted them as they flew away. 
In addition to that, a coyote was walking around the outside of them on the on the sandbanks of the pond. And as the coyote walked around the pond hoping to, you know, get one or one of the smaller ones, I guess. But anyway, as they walked around, the birds all turned their heads and watched the coyote walk around the pond just to make sure that it was not going to rush in there and get them, I guess. Anyway, it was it was just the neatest thing. Wow, that's really that's great. some experience. Yeah, I can't yeah, imagine yeah. that. And, and all of these happen when, and well, the one was with my wife, of course, but most of the things that happen are, you know, you're all by yourself, you're out there, and especially this example of the kite and the, um, the cranes, uh, are, it's, it's just like you're out there all by yourself in, in the wilderness, basically. Mm. It's just really neat. But, you know, I got to say that every now and then I'll find a warbler in uh, White Rock Lake in the hatchery, and, uh, and I hadn't seen it there before. There is a, uh, a one that, that it's pretty rare. It's, uh, I can't remember. I was hunting for that one before. And, um, and it's really, that's one of the great things about burning. I mean, that's, it, rarities are, are what you're trying to find. And when you find one, and it's, especially if you find one in one area that you've been birding for years and you've never seen the bird there before, I'm trying to look it up. Oh, the worm-eating warbler. That's worm-eating warbler. The worm-eating warbler. Yeah, that's a bird that's found normally in the eastern wet forests. And uh, once in a great while, one will turn up in Dallas. And I remember my first worm-eating warbler in, uh, in the hatchery at, at uh, White Rock Lake. And I've seen one more in the last, I've seen two now in 25 years or 20 years. And, but that's, that's the kind of thing that makes birding so neat because, you know, I can ride my bike to White Rock Lake. I don't have to do, I don't have to get on a bus. I don't have to get a car. I don't have to do anything. I just go down there and then you get to see something like that. And, and uh, it's great. It's a great experience. Well, what does the first-time birder need to get started? You talked about you can get, you know, you don't have to be at a certain level to be able to enjoy birding. What, is, what does someone that's just brand new need to? I think that, first of all, I think you're going to need binoculars. Uh, unless you have a bird feeder like I did or a hummingbird feeder three inches from your window, you're going to need binoculars. As a matter of fact, um, I just got back from Vail, and um, we have a hummingbird. We have a little place where we stay in Vail. I've been going there for about 20 years now, and um, I put up a telescope in the living room and look at the hummingbirds that come to the feeder. So even if you have feeders, you're still going to need some optical equipment, and uh, I I would suggest first thing you're going to have to do is get some binoculars. There are, as you would expect, there are just zillions of levels of binoculars, different different magnifications, different uh, um, lens... uh, Big lenses and little lenses right, on, your, right. on your binoculars. And they're all kind of connected. So you've got 735 binoculars, 845 binoculars, 1040 binoculars. First number is the power. The second number is how big the objective lens is. So anyway, you're going to need to buy a pair of binoculars. And, and I think that um, there are a couple of good places you can find them. But uh, but that's that's pretty much a necessity, especially if you're doing anything other than looking at your bird feeder. The second you walk out into the woods or go down to one of the areas we're going to talk about, you're going to need a good, a, a fairly good pair of binoculars. Okay. And uh, there's, uh, I think, some of the birding places, um, the bird seed places here in town sell binoculars. You can go try them yourself. Uh, along with the binoculars, uh, do you need anything else to be able to make 
No, help you make no. Uh, now, now, I will say that uh, birding has become much more of a photography hobby these days, and I don't do that. I, I, um, I do have a telescope, uh, a birding telescope, and I put my iPhone on top of the lens, and I take, uh, they call it digiscoping, okay. and I take pictures of birds that way when I want a record. But I'm not into the, you know, the Nikon or Canon or whatever giant telephoto lenses. But when you go to a birding, uh, one of the famous birding uh, places in Texas or, or elsewhere, you'll see a dozen guys with, with lenses that they have to, you know, have a, the entire trunk space takes up for, <laughs> for this uh, camera they've got. But I, I, we're not, I, I can't really talk about that because that's kind of happened since I've, you know, taken up birding. And I've never gotten into that. However, that's a very important part of birding these days is those kind of cameras and stuff, which, you know, I can't, I can't really comment on. Are there seasons of the year that are particularly favorable for birding? Absolutely. Um, there's, there's no question that every season is different. And here in Texas, I'd have to say the summer season is, is horrible for birding. Uh, it's now just starting to pick up. We have some of the migrant shorebirds, and, and I'll be talking about shorebirds probably uh, in other uh, cases during this, uh, this talk. Shorebirds mean uh, sandpipers, uh, little birds you see running around on the beach, and also uh, the families of those kind of birds, killdeer, uh, curlews, uh, you know, we can get into more godwits, that kind of thing, but they're basically birds that we normally see in a marshy area and they're on the ground. They start coming through. They've already started coming through. We have we have a, a quite a few of them coming through right now, and they require, of course, a habitat with water or a swamp or a beach. But um, those kind of birds are uh, they're only really they're the only ones that we see here in the summer. Uh, our our warblers, our migrants, uh, our breeding birds. There are just not that many in Dallas. Uh, migration in the spring, migration in the fall are great in, in Texas and, and in Dallas as well. And winter birds are interesting as well. Uh, it's a lot easier to go out and watch a bird when it's 40 degrees than it is when it's 100 and, 105. So, and, and, and the birds kind of seem that way too. They, they don't like that, that uh, huge, uh, well, whatever. They, they just don't like, you just don't see them in the summer. There, there. Uh, we have some breeding birds, of course, blue jays and bluebirds and stuff like that, and sparrows. Some sparrows, not many. We just don't have that much here in the summer, and it's miserable out there. Tons of mosquitoes. So the the definitely, if you want to rank it, the best season is spring, then fall, both in the migration season as the birds come through. And we now don't forget, we have all of the birds that um, that migrate to South America or Mexico. And they breed in Canada and northern uh, United States. They come through Dallas, and and we have we're right on the Central Flyway here in Dallas, and uh, they they just come right through, and uh, we get to see them. And there there are a significant number of birds that come through that are migrants. That it, it's a really great place for birding. Dallas is it really is, even though we're not on the coast. It would be better if we had. Uh, the Gulf of Mexico coming through Dallas, but we don't. <laughs> so anyway, that's, yeah, definitely, I think. And then in the winter, we have interesting birds. The weather's a lot better. And one thing we'll talk about pretty soon is where to see the birds in Dallas County. And it makes a huge difference about what kind of birds you want to see, what habitat you're going to need to go to within Dallas County. 
aside from the seasons, are there optimal times during the day uh, for seeing birds? Is it something where if you were going to invest a few hours, where you would invest? That's those? right. Early morning. No question about it. Uh, the middle of the day is terrible for bird watching. What you can do is put down your uh, uh, your bird book and pick up a butterfly book and look at butterflies. <laughs> okay. Birding is, is good in the morning. Uh, mornings and birding is also good in the evenings, but not nearly as good as in the morning. Now, I will say that uh, if we're looking at different kinds of birds, for instance, if we're looking at the shorebirds, uh, they'll be migrating shorebirds will be at their uh, habitat all day long. So if you know where there's a good place where you're going to see the, the shorebirds, the, the sandpipers and stuff like that that migrate through Dallas, you can go there at any time during the day. But that's pretty much the only species you're pretty sure of seeing, uh, at least different species. You know, you, you can find stuff all day long, but to answer your question, morning, uh, morning is much better than any other time of day. So where are the best places to observe right, birds? All right, so... In Dallas County, uh, I am I am the most familiar with. Uh, we'll start with the two that I have birded more, and, and I bird these two places for a very good reason. One of them is the Southside Sewage Ponds in in uh, south southeast Dallas. Uh, it has the shorebirds that we've been talking about. It has all kinds of birds. It's a great habitat. The problem with that is is you have to be on a list. You have to be approved to get into the uh, facility. It's a very large um, uh, sewage pond, and it's got tremendous diversity in the habitats. And that that uh, brings in a tremendous number of species because the habitats are so different. As you would expect, there's a lot of mud in there. There's uh, a great habitat for uh, birds that are like bitterns and herons and stuff that can hide in the in the habitat. Um, there are also uh, woods and stuff for birds like this. So, and, and and I might add that area is completely bisected by roads. So you can just walk a road or drive a road and uh, look out your car. A lot of us set up our telescopes in the car and, uh, and clamp them to the windows and look at birds down there. Like I say, the problem is you have to get on a list, and um, there's somebody in charge of the list that, that has just changed over. But uh, if, if people want to get in there, uh, all they really need to do is talk to another birder, and, and most likely that other birder will, be, will already have permission to get in there, and, and, and the, the new birder can go with that person or eventually can get on that list themselves. Um, that's the, uh, that's the, the Dallas um, the Southside Water Treatment Plant. That's the, the actual name is Southside Dallas Water Treatment Plant. All right. Now, the other one is the, uh, well, there are a couple other places. Um, I have done a lot of birding in the White Rock Lake area. The hatchery, the old fish hatchery at the south end of the White Rock Lake is a fabulous place for birds. The problem is, is they're redoing the dam and they have the whole area closed off. And it's been closed off for two years. So unless you sneak in, uh, it's pretty much out of, uh, you know, out of bounds for, for birders right now. But that is a really spectacular place. It's fairly small. It's probably about 50 or 60 acres. It's at the end of the lake. You get a lot of birds that uh, want to be near the lake for some reason or another, and uh, even sparrows, warblers, uh, orioles, all kinds of stuff. It's a, uh, I guess what it is, it's a very old uh, growth forest, 
and uh, a lot of the birds see it and they're they're flying over the lake and they think hey we're going to stop here so they go in there now there's the same uh exactly the same uh forest uh, bounds the trinity river all the way through dallas county and uh, there are a couple of birders i'm not one of them but there are a couple of birders that have over the years uh, found some hiking and stuff down there and overall they found uh, many of the birds that I've seen at White Rock Lake and a few extras, of course, they're always going to be extra things. Uh, they now have an, the AT&T Trail. The, the AT&T Trail is right next to the Dallas Audubon, the, uh, the um, what do they call it, Audubon Dallas uh, the center, the Trinity, the Trinity Audubon Center. I got this written down here. The Trinity Audubon Center and the AT&T Trail are very good for birding. The, and the AT&T Trail uh, borders the, um, the Audubon Center on the east. So if you don't want to go into the center, you can, you can uh, bird it by, by parking in the parking lot right before you get to the, the Audubon Center gate. And then you can go down that trail and you can see the side of the Audubon, which has a bunch of uh, ponds. And you can also go into the Audubon Center uh, that same way. Uh, I think it's off of Loop 12. Uh, it's off of 45 anyway, and uh, or 175, whatever it is, you can find it. And um, <clears throat> that's a that's a very good area. Some of the younger birders are starting to do a lot more down there than I have because I've just pr- pr- uh, pretty much stuck to the uh, the sewage pond and the and uh, White Rock Lake. But there there you, you have to walk more. Uh, it's a little less diversity, but there. That's a very nice area for woods, and uh, and it's also a nice area just to walk around and hike. The uh, the Audubon Center was just uh, started maybe 15 years ago or something like that, and uh, I've been down there lately, and it's 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 gotten a lot better for birds. It was basically a dump, as I as I recall, where the where the Audubon Center, where the Trinity River Audubon Center is, and they planted a lot of stuff and put in ponds and stuff, and it's finally coming around, so it's a pretty good birding place. Now, I would like to add to the uh, the woods in the northern part of Dallas County uh, are really very good. Um, north, of, north of White Rock Lake, uh, the trail, there's a bike trail that goes up through the, through the woods there, and there's lots of birding up there off of uh, forest and off of, what's an, a royal, royal and forest over there at the, uh, where the, where the river, where the creek goes through. Uh, I just can't remember the name of the place. But anyway, that's that's really good. Once again, in migration, in the pecan trees in that area um, on the on the northern side. And then I, I would want to mention a couple more things down in the south, sure. uh, the southern area. I just was at Wolf Springs Road uh, this morning, and uh, there are tremendous, uh, beautiful uh, shorebirds and stuff down there right now. That is in the very southeast corner of Dallas, there's a um, uh, an area uh, that, uh, off of Wolf Springs Road that is a, a, a sod farm, and uh, a lot of us birders go down to there, and especially right now during early migration. The shorebirds come through. Uh, I found a couple of rare plovers down there this morning. Took some pictures through my through my scope. The only the only downside of that is it's right across the street from right across Wolf Springs Road. 
from one of the most active uh, uh, gun ranges in the county. So you have to realize when you're down there watching birds, you're going to hear the, the guns going off. And uh, the, the guys are great. You know, they say hi to us when they're going in to do their target practice and stuff. But it's a little unnerving at first when you're sitting there watching birds and you're hearing. But, they're, they've, you know, they're, they're, we're right across the street from them, and, and uh, they've been terrific for us. So anyway. I guess the birds have adapted. Yeah, uh, the, the birds gun? seem to have adapted just fine. As a matter of fact, I was down there today. And there was an entire flock of over 100 buff-breasted sandpipers, which I was watching walking around. They, they only come through in migration, and they almost always come through now or uh, in, um, it'd be mid-May. But, but right now in the fall, when they're coming back up from, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, when they're coming back through from uh, breeding up in the north, and I was wondering if they'd go up when the, there was quite a bit of activity today at the gun range, and uh, they were fine. They, they just, like you say, they, they just seem to get used to it. Uh, so that's on, the, that's on the far southeast corner of Dallas County. On the, on the far southwest corner of Dallas County are the, um, the things that I, when I first came to Dallas uh, over 40 years ago, I thought I was in the hill country. And that was uh, Cedar Ridge Preserve, and uh, the there's another little um, uh, uh, park. Cedar Hill State Park is down there, uh, but but Cedar Ridge Preserve particularly is a really nice uh, habitat for birds, and also it's great for hiking. Uh, and and you'll find, and this is what makes Dallas County, I think, really interesting for birding, is you'll find almost completely different birds in that preserve on the on the escarpment on the southwest corner than the swamps and the forests of the trinity on the southeast corner of dallas they're what about 20 miles apart at the most and and the bird life is just like you're in a completely different uh, area could it's you give some examples of really things you would see yeah yeah side? sure um on the uh, on the on the eastern side, you're going to see what I've been talking about: the shorebirds, uh, a lot of uh, eastern uh, Texas warblers, uh, maybe ovenbirds, um, uh, different warblers that you're not going to see uh, anywhere else in in Dallas County except in there. That would be around maybe Greenville. I'm trying to think of. There'd be some flycatchers uh, that you're not going to see that you might see down there. Prothonotary warblers would be on the east corner. A yellow-throated warbler would be down in there. Uh, maybe a pine warbler, uh, perhaps a, a palm warbler. Now, some of these birds would be breeding uh, down in the Trinity. Um, uh, Perulas down in there. None of those warblers that I just mentioned would be over on the other side. They would have uh, uh, yellow-rumped warblers over there. Um, being on the, the oh, okay on the other side, meaning on the on the west side in the in the escarpment, okay. and and you're going to have uh, indigo bunnings over there. Um, some other. The problem is, is I lump There's so many. I, I lump all of these birds as in Dallas County. Right. I think the big difference is when you walk through those places. In the one place, you're going to get a very dry habitat. That's over on the Cedar Ridge. Uh, on the escarpment over there, you're going to get um, the, the dry habitat with the um, uh, cedars. They call them cedars. They're actually junipers. junipers yeah, yes. they're junipers, yeah. And so in there, you're going to have uh, 
lots of chickadees and titmice and stuff like that. Now those those birds are also on the other side in the swamp, but you'll you'll see different birds even though they're there. They'll be easier to see in one habitat or the other. And of course, on the other side, you're going to get the Trinity River with uh, with very east. I think it's best to to put it this way that the eastern side of Dallas County, you're going to get East Texas birds. The the western side of Dallas County, you're going to get Central Texas birds. Um, they used to have uh, some birds that are no longer seen in, anymore in Dallas County, and they were always, and that would be the the, the vireos. Uh, the flycatchers are different. We'll have different flycatchers in each of those places. The whole birding experience is completely different in the southeast corner of Dallas County and in the southwest corner of Dallas County. And and the rest of the county is pretty much like it is in the southeast corner because of those corridors, the, the streams that go up north through Dallas County. So it's going to be mostly that. And then you have that little area of the escarpment on the southwest corner. One thing I should mention is that there's a very good wildlife refuge about an hour and a half due north of us, Hagerman National Wildlife Refuge on the Red River. Uh, lots of bigger birds go up there. They have wonderful, huge masses of, of uh, snow geese and uh, Canada geese. The snow geese are just spectacular there in the winter. And, and there are not a whole lot of different birds up there, but they're uh, a lot easier to see from your car. And uh, it's definitely worth a trip going up there. And then I had another area that I was going to mention. On the way to Fort Worth, off of Route 30, there's a place called Village Creek Drying Beds. And it used to be a, another dump, I think. But that's a that's a very good place. A lot of Fort Worth birders uh, come over to Village Creek more than Dallas birders go over there because we have more of that habitat here than they do in, in Tarrant County. But uh, that's, a, that's an, another. Now, neither one of those two places are actually in Dallas County, but they are uh, well worth a visit. And then, uh, you know, I won't get into the rest of the places. It's, there are lots of places you can find on the Internet, on uh, eBird, or uh, on even some of the older books of bird finding in Texas and stuff like that. I don't know whether they're still even in print. Because when, when I started birding, that's the only way you could find birds, is to get these paperbacks and tells you exactly where to go and where the birds are and stuff. And, and now this can all be found on eBird. Speaking of eBird, you've got some higher level involvement in that. Don't yeah, participation. yeah, yeah. I'm you want to a, tell us a little about that? Yeah, eBird, eBird has become uh, just an, a, an absolute necessity for birders to uh, both put in sightings and to find areas where other birds are. And eBird has also really jump started the people that are trying to get tons of species on their list. It's, uh, that's another reason why there are a lot of birders out there today, because it can become a very competitive hobby. Uh, so my job on eBird is I've got counties here around Dallas, probably five or six counties, and then I also have a couple of counties in West Texas that I'm responsible for the people, anybody that puts a sighting on eBird, I'm responsible for saying, yes, that could be there, or no, you have the wrong species identified, and it's no, and that is not on the, should not be on the list, and it's my job to expunge it from eBird. Well, 
The problem is that uh, I'm not always sure whether they, the, a person has seen the bird that they have on eBird. Um, a lot of times it's very helpful if uh, somebody has a photograph and it's real easy for any of us. Now, there are reviewers all over the state. I just happen to do those maybe a, a half a dozen or about 10 counties or so. But every county in the state of Texas has an eBird reviewer and they're responsible for making sure that the birders, when they use eBird, they put a list of the birds that they've seen that morning on eBird. It's our responsibility to um, to judge it, to say, well, yeah, that's it. And therefore, the it can be very um, much more accurate. And, and actually, eBird is used for scientific research all the time. So it, it's really, uh, it, uh, we all feel that we're doing a, a very necessary job in, uh, in, in doing the uh, reviewing on eBird. However, some of the birders don't agree. <laughs> and uh, when, when, we, uh, when we take a, a bird off of the list that they have put on the list, occasionally, not very often, but occasionally we get nasty emails in return. Because oh. they'll know immediately. Uh, they'll, they'll look on the list. After, after you put your, your bird list onto eBird, uh, then you go to the general area or the specific uh, place where you've been watching birds, and if that bird doesn't show up, uh, the birder is going to know immediately what happened. And, of course, uh, uh, a birder, uh, part of the thing with birding is, is why I, th I think it's very similar to stamp collecting, is, is you want your rare bird is much more important than your regular old common bird on your list. So uh, the way eBird works is that uh, um, there, there are lists all in the computer about which birds are common and which birds are not common. So a reviewer, when, when I sit down at my computer at night, uh, only the birds that are very uncommon or very rare, I'm going to have to worry about. The rest of them go on the list automatically. So when I get home uh, during a migration, I might have 10 birds on my list that night that are questionable. Let's put it that way. And so I have to, I have to look at who saw the bird uh, whether they uh, documented it is with a word that I've been trying to find for the last five minutes. Uh, mm -hmm. If they've if they've documented it properly, which usually means a uh, a written description about the the way they saw it, how they saw it, or better yet, photographed it or or recorded it, and then uh, then we put those on and we prove them, and then they go on a big uh, a big map and everything, and, and it goes directly to eBird. And that has been the biggest change in my, in my almost, I'd say, 60 years of, uh, of birding experience, is the eBird has just tremendously made, made the hobby more interesting for people. Uh, it appeals to more people. Uh, and, and also, it, it gives a sense of when you're out watching birds, uh, you're, you're doing something for the birds' environment. You're you're putting the lists on so that scientists know where the birds are, what you know, where the where the best places are. And I, I think as far as uh, saving habitat, for instance, uh, with eBird, you can just look at the maps of where people have seen birds on your computer, on anybody's computer. You don't have to be an eBird person or anything, but just go to eBird.org and get the map and say where are the birds. And so when when, uh, when somebody's trying to make a, 
a preserve or something like that. It's, you know, any, anyway, I, most of us birders feel like, hey, we're really doing a good deed here by putting these birds on eBird. And then, of course, you get into the competitiveness, you know, right. like uh, I've seen 305 species you know, on, and, and they're all on eBird. And Dr. Bob Stone has seen 306 species and all of his are on eBird. And I'm trying to find a bird that, that, that I haven't seen that he probably has seen. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to find a bird that I've probably seen, but he hasn't seen. So I'll call him up, of course, and say, uh, hey, Bob, you know, there's a bird both of us have to go see. So we get together and we go see it. But there's definitely that kind of uh, competitiveness. They've always had that in birding, but it's always been uh, the really rich uh, really good birders who can spend a huge amount of money, and every year they go out and try to see how many birders, birds they can see in the entire United States or right. even the entire world, but mainly it's uh, the, the U.S. Or, or North America. And now it's everybody because everybody's got a list. And don't forget that every birding area, for instance, that place that I told you, South Side Sewage Ponds, mm-hmm. um, has, or water treatment plant is the correct uh, you know, thing for that, um, they have their own list on eBird that has uh, the, the people th- who saw the most species in that particular area. And that's called patch birding. And that, that is my favorite kind of birding. I go to the same places over and over again uh, here in Dallas County, but also in West Texas. And, and even up in Vail that I've done a little bit. Mainly I stay in Texas, well, and in Delaware. Uh, we spend uh, every year we go to Delaware. But the point is that every one of those little patches, one of those areas, has their own eBird list, and it tells you on the right side of the eBird list who's seen the most species in that little area. I brought along my list of the Guadalupe Mountains, and this particular list I'm looking at right now is of the bowl in Guadalupe Mountains, which is about a, oh, I don't know, about a six-mile hike, elevation gain of about 2,000 feet, and I have this eBird list that shows me exactly what I've seen in there over the last 15 or 20 years. And when I go back there, which I do about every other year, at least for another couple of years before I give up, <laughs> uh, it, it will tell me the birds that I need to add to this list. So that's the thing that eBird's done. You can really, you can really have a lot of fun uh, what I say, working on your list. In other words, trying to add bird species to your list in all of these different little areas. You no longer have to just lump them all together into the state of Texas or the Dallas County or something like that. So it's a, that's called patch birding. Patch birding. And, and that's the best, yeah. So I'll have lists of, let's see, I brought three lists along. One of them was I started anciently, way before eBird, and it has all of the birds that I've seen since 2001 uh, on the on the White Rock uh, in the White Rock Lake area and also in the uh, South Side water treatment plant and I have them all listed here and they're all in different colors and stuff like that so birding birding can become a, a real listing game and it's fun to sometimes back off and just get a pair of binoculars and go into the woods and see what you can see and, and leave your lists at home right <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. Because birding is such a, I, th- I think, an important indicator of environmental quality. It's, I think it's important for birds to be accur- accurately identified and listed in whatever habitat they're found in. And over the years, 
uh, the sport of birding has become more important in that respect, and there's been a group formed in, in almost every state. Uh, California and Texas being the most important because of the more birders and more birds in those two states. So they've, they've initiated this uh, birding records committee to basically check on the really rare birds that uh, people are reporting. There are maybe, uh, I think there are eight members of the committee right now. There have to, there have to be nine because they have to be odd, uh, an odd number because you can't have a tie. Uh, when when somebody uh, records a bird, particularly that has not been seen in the state of Texas or has been seen in the state of Texas less than 10 times total, uh, it will go to this committee. The committee meets on the com- constantly on the computer. Uh, we know the birds that we're going to have to rate, to, to judge, I should say, the, the bird sightings we have to judge. And then once a year we get together and uh, and go through and decide which of the birds we allow to be uh, put on the Dallas uh, on the uh, Texas list, or the birds that we throw off the Texas list. It's constantly being improved. Sometimes the birds are lumped together. In other words, two species that used to be separate listings are now combined to be just one listing. The um, the the Orioles have been that way. There used to be a Baltimore Oriole. And there used to be a Bullock's Oriole, and then they, they called lumping them, and all of a sudden there was just a Northern Oriole. And then they decided, nope, nope, those are both Baltimore Orioles, a legitimate species, Northern Oriole, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the state committees uh, get together and do that. Uh, we'll, we'll meet once a year in person and uh, go through some of the birds that are more difficult. A lot of times now with photographs, we don't have that much of a problem anymore. Uh, a lot of these committees were founded before photographs and sound recordings, I might add. Sound, sound recordings are very important too. And we basically uh, have to judge whether or not uh, this is a legitimate thing or whether the, uh, whether the birder has misidentified his species. And uh, it's, it's almost always not on purpose that, that misidentifications are made. But we try to keep the list uh, accurate. And also, obviously, the rarer birds, it's interesting to see. Are they coming into Texas? Are they coming up from Mexico? Are they coming down from into the plains from Oklahoma or something like that? So it's a, it's a situation where we have a, a bunch of good birders together, about nine of us, and then we vote. And, and for an example, uh, if, if there's a uh, a rare, let's say, uh, um, maybe what would it be? Some some kind of a flycatcher. It's almost always some kind of a flycatcher, and we'll have a we'll have a recording of it, and we'll have a picture of it, and and we'll say, okay, well, is that what it is? And uh, first of all, some of the the guys on the committee have seen it somewhere else, maybe in Arizona or something like that. So, and he'll say, no, no way. That's you know that that's wrong. So that bird doesn't doesn't get to be a Texas bird one way or the other. On the other hand, most likely if it's a really rare bird, a lot of, a lot of people take photographs at recording it and then we just have to say, sure, that's fine for the, for the committee. They're also doing right now, uh, some of the birds, the, the, um, domestic birds like parakeets and parrots and stuff that are actually becoming, uh, uh, nesting and stuff in the wild. Uh, that committee decides when they're quote countable, on the on the state list, there are about six hundred birds that are that are on the uh, Texas list right now as as being seen in in the state of Texas, which is huge. That is, yeah, 
yeah. That's a pretty big number. Yeah, yeah. So that's something that's been going on. Um, the terms, in case you're interested, the terms of that committee are uh, three years, and you're allowed another three-year term, and then you get thrown off because oh. they don't want the same people on the committee forever. I think if you're off for a while, they'll let you come back on again. But you have to be um, you have to be suggested by another committee member. Generally, one of those committee members will be out birding with somebody, and uh, and they'll impress whoever there was say, hey, this guy's got to be on the committee. In, in my case, I was out with a very good birder in, in uh, Central Texas, and um, he said, uh, oh, there's a, you know, whatever it is, and we hear, heard a bird calling. And I said, I, I, I don't think so. It doesn't sound like whatever. And, and then they realized that I was a musician, and uh, I've, got, I've got a really good ear for birds. And, and I, I grew up in central Pennsylvania, and I heard a lot of them. That's another thing. Birds mainly just call when they're breeding. So if we don't have breeding warblers down here, they just come through like we talked about earlier. I've heard them on their breeding ground, so I kind of, and of course the recordings and all that kind of stuff. But my ear is pretty good just because of what my, my job was. So that, believe me, that is the only reason I got on that, <laughs> on that committee is because I could hear birds better than a lot of the other guys. And that, now a lot of times we will have to judge a recording. As a matter of fact, I just did that when I was, um, we were at the beach in, in um, just three weeks ago in Delaware. And they had a recording and said, you know, can you identify this as a, as a whatever the species was? And um, I said, no, you can't do it with that short of a recording. So that bird, I believe, will not, will not get on the birding list. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave us with? Well, you know, I, I just go back to what I said. The one thing that I would say that in my lifetime what's changed most about birding is that the, uh, the e-bird, the computer, and photography. Uh, when I first started out, I, had, I learned my bird songs. Uh, and by the way, that's, you know, that's an important thing we really haven't talked about. Um, learning your bird songs really helps you identify birds and also find the birds. But when I started out, there were 33 and a third records, LP records that you know that you had to, to get to learn bird songs. That's the only way you could learn bird songs. And and the same way when I started out, these giant cameras that had that were way too slow for for photography and stuff. So in I think in the last 40 years or so, or 50 years almost in my case. Uh, the the e bird and the the um, what would you call it the photography and the and all of the kind of the technical stuff has uh, has really made a difference in the hobby not necessarily in the skill of finding the birds or looking at the birds or identifying birds but the hobby overall has become more uh, more modern I guess more modern, is the best way maybe to put enriched it. yeah yeah well or maybe the other way it depends. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but you know that that's kind of that's kind of the thing, and I, I really should go back to the fact of the matter is that you don't have to go to to Africa to to have a good birding experience. You know, you can you can have a birding experience almost anywhere you are, and that includes in New York City. Uh, when the migrants come through Central Park, there and I've been there several times during migration in New York City at, in Central Park, there are hundreds and hundreds of birders, and they're having a great time, and they're seeing great birds. You know, birds are flying up the coast, 
and and they get to Philadelphia and, and Camden, New Jersey, and you know, and all of a sudden they see Central Park, and zoom, they go in there, and there's a huge list uh, there. As a matter of fact, the restaurants, when you go into some of the restaurants there at Central Park, there'll be little books, and you can open them up and see, whoa, there's a great birder who you know wrote down on the list and stuff like that. So I think it's a very universal hobby. Uh, it doesn't require a lot of expensive equipment. And, and really, for a beginning birder, it doesn't require a lot of initial uh, study. However, to become a really good birder, it requires an awful lot of work and a lot of experience. But that's up to the individual, whether they want to do that or not. Well, thanks, Chris, for the insight and inspiration. And uh, <laughs> I really I can't wait to get out and apply some of what I've learned. <laughs> okay. And I'm sure many of our listeners will feel the same. So okay. well, thanks thank again. You. Thanks. You've been listening to The Pond Podcast, brought to you by the staff of the Dallas Public Library, where we inspire curiosity, connect people, and advance lives. See you next time. And until then, keep your eyes open for the natural world all around us.